Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 12? We're going to be looking at verse 3 tonight in a Bible study that I've entitled Evangelism in the Last Days. Evangelism in the Last Days. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. We ended our verse-by-verse study in Daniel last time, and it was so good and so timely and so spiritually rich. How would we know that that last section of Daniel, speaking of what the end times would look like, speaking of how, as Daniel was writing this, God was telling him, look, Daniel, I know a lot of it, what you see today, you don't understand, but in the last days, it's going to make sense. And as we looked at what the Bible has to say, we studied in depth what the Bible has to say, what Jesus has to say about the last days. What are they going to look like? And as we we saw what Jesus said and compared it to our current day, we came to the conclusion that we're in the last days, not only because the Bible says so, but also we can see it with our own eyes. We're living it. And Daniel says, he's writing at the end, He says, in those in living in the last days, those who are wise are going to shine. And it speaks to us of being salt and light. Those that are wise are going to shine the light. They're going to have a life that points to the brightness of God and his goodness. But also, those, those those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead, how, how do we become bright? How, how do we shine the light of the gospel? Well, those that lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. In the New King James, it says in verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And we've learned, yes, the days will get darker and darker. You're living in the end times. And so darkness is common in the end times. And yes, there's a brightness and a shining in your life, in my life, for those who are leading others to righteousness, those who are actively, regularly sharing the love of Jesus with others. Not merely in evangelism, although that will be our emphasis, but you and I can lead a lot of people in righteousness as our fellow brothers and sisters. Those that might be off on a tangent. Those that might be off in a time of getting caught up in everything. Those that might be hurting. Those like leading them to right living. Leading them to right decisions. When, when somebody comes to us, we tell them the truth biblically. We're careful not to spread our opinions. We're, we're careful not to persuade someone to our side. But rather we point them to the truth. No matter what. No matter what the consequences. This is the word of God. And I've declared it to you, and now you're responsible to respond. There's a lot of different ways to lead people into righteousness. But for our time today, I want to emphasize the true essence of leading someone to right living, the lost, and how important that is in our lives. We call that evangelism. Evangelism is 
telling someone that is in, not in relationship with God the good news that Jesus Christ came in human flesh, God, sacrificing his own son to die on your behalf and mine for the forgiveness of our sins, for the removal of shame. And you're telling folks the good news that their sins can be forgiven, their, that their life can be made right, that they can live eternally with God. We call that evangelism. So when you hear that word, it means to share the gospel, share the good news. Well, what's it like for a person to live without forgiveness in the dark? For the person that, that, that's not spiritually connected to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, let's just be real. For some of you, for some of us, it's been so long since you've lived in darkness that you've forgotten how bad it really is. You've forgotten how hard it really was. You have forgotten exactly what spiritual blindness feels like. You've forgotten just what your sin, how it damaged you, how it ruined you, how it ruined relationships, how people were weeping over you and crying over you and praying for you. For some, it's been so long that we've forgotten. We don't even remember the issues that are on the hearts of those who don't know Jesus personally and intimately. We've just forgotten, and because we've forgotten, we lack an empathy and a care for people that are lost. And then somehow, as a sign of our own self-righteousness, we're shocked that the world lives like the world and that they act like the world. And we impose this morality on people that are unbelievers, disconnected from God, that really have no moral compass, that they'll never really, they're literally blind. It's a frustrating experience. It's a frustrating experience. The best way that I could describe it would be along the lines of trying to describe the colors of a rainbow to a blind person that's never seen them. They have no concept of color. So look at the beautiful rainbow. Really, really, tell me about it. Oh, look at the green. Green? What's green? What does green look like? Well, you know, like the grass. Well, what does grass look like? Well, you know, like money. Ooh, I've never seen money before. And it would be very, very challenging and difficult to describe the rainbow to a blind person. So much so, it may become so difficult for you, you don't even want to do it anymore. It's so frustrating because they're asking questions, trying to wrestle, and sharing the gospel with a lost person is a lot like that. You're trying to describe the goodness and the grace and, and, it, and all of what you've experienced. That's why a great way to build a bridge is not first to not just share the gospel, but share the effects of the gospel. And when you share the effects of the gospel, what you're sharing is your testimony. Your testimony is not the gospel. You realize that. The gospel is very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have every eternal life. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And we've looked at that in different studies. Those are available online and on our app. The, your testimony is not the gospel, although I'm certain that it has pieces. If not, if you, were, if you put it together uh, carefully, you probably put the gospel in it. But your testimony is not the gospel. It is the effect of the work of God in your life. And that's a good bridge. People love to hear a good story, <laughs> they, especially if they don't know you. Uh, maybe it's a coworker and all you guys know each other is the time you were at work. So you show up on time. They show like everything. You're, they know the new you, but when they found out the old you, it's shocking. <laughs> it's shocking. 
In, in some instances, as I share just small snippets of my past, I've literally received uh, responses like, they don't, no way, that not you. Like for some reason, people think pastors are born wearing glasses with a, with a tie on, they come out in a suit and tie with glasses, and they never had, well, not, not my life. And as I share what God has done in my life, it's compelling. It's not the gospel, though. Testimonies don't save. Only God saves. And only God saves through the truth of the gospel. So when you share to gather the attention of someone, you want to. But, but before you ever share, you have to care. You have to care. You, you, you need to realize, and you and I need to remember what it's like being lost. And if we, if we were raised in a godly home, then we need to have friends in our lives that can remind us of what it was like when they were lost so that our hearts will break for the lost. You know as well as I do that in a time like this, the last days, there's such a pronounced time of the last days, church. It's easy to become passionate about things that don't matter, that aren't going to last for eternity. And on the one hand, you know, it, it becomes very frustrating for a pastor I see people passionate about this. Oh, what about this? And I see a pastor passionate about, oh, what about that? I see so much passion in the church, lost and misdirected, caught up in things that aren't going to last. This trial will last and we'll come into another trial and another trial until the coming of the Lord, until the rapture of the church. And of all the passions, I mean, and on the other hand, it's exciting to me to see that there's still passion in people's lives. Like, you can be passionate about something. that It's in you. It's ready to come out of you. It's encouraging to be passionate. But how important it is that we're passionate for the things that outlast us, that outlast the trial, that outlast the difficulty, that outlast the oppression, that outlast. Like, when you and I die, what we're passionate about continues on. And that's the gospel, the word of God. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. What's eternal but the souls of men? And as you craft, as you were praying today about your own words, wholesome words, not worthless words, you think about in your life and where you're going, if what you're passionate about is leading people to righteousness, if what you're passionate about is what the Bible says here, that, that the wise will shine, and those that shine are reflecting the gospel. What is eternal? Maybe when you think back, you forget the horrible guilt that you carried around as an unbeliever. No one and nothing could remove the knowledge of your own guilt before others and before God. It was painfully obvious, even as your life was filled with stuff, there were, even as you, made, as you accomplished the goals that you had, you just couldn't shake the guilt. You just couldn't. As we learn in the time with Jacob's sons, they had this guilty conscience that carried them all the way into Egypt. You could see it reflect, it changed their behavior. Maybe you forgot the guilt that you carried around. Maybe you forgot the sorrow of emptiness, the emptiness of life. Sure, you have things. You have all that you thought would make you happy, and yet you still, I mean, it's, doesn't it shock you still that those often that get the attention, but it's not exclusive to them, but, but another movie star says, I don't want to live anymore. 
Like, those are people, the movie stars, the music moguls, all the, those are the people that kids are aspiring to. Those are the people that they're selling their lives out to be. When I grow up, I want that. And when I grow up, I want their money. And when I grow up, I want to be in the movies. When I grow up, I want to sing and I want to put, I want to put music out. And yet, those that have those things without Christ, they have everything everyone else wants. And they're still empty. Because you can have everything that you've ever wanted, but apart from Christ you're still empty. Maybe we forgot that, how empty it was. Relationship after relationship didn't fill you. All the money in the world didn't satisfy you. Drugs, alcohol only delayed the pain until it started to wear off and you started drinking again. That's how you become an alcoholic. It doesn't settle. You get more and more and more and more until it controls you. Maybe you forgot the loneliness that you experience as an unbeliever. Loneliness. The isolation of it all. You're there and you go, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? I learned in school that we're just animals. <laughs> so, you know, what kind of animal am I? Is there life after death? Am I just an animal? Will I ever be loved? Do I ever know what love is? Why on the planet with billions of people do I feel so alone? Maybe you don't remember the fear that you lived with, the fear of death. What will happen after I die? Oh, we didn't pay much attention to it. We didn't spend a lot of time, but when it came, it came hard and fast. Where you begin to think, fear? What, what's going to happen after I? Oh, there's, there's no such thing as life after death. And so you just kind of went on and pretended that nothing happened. But then you went to a funeral. And as the pastor got up there and started talking about it, and you're watching the reality of death, and you're feeling the reality of death, you started asking, what about me? And yet you really didn't want to submit to God. Those are things that everyone deals with. If you want to write them down, I want you to write this down and I'll help you remember these four things. Everyone deals with self. Everyone deals, every person that doesn't have a relationship with God deals with self. And each letter stands for something. You ready? The S stands for the sense of guilt. Everyone deals with the sense of guilt. The E stands for the emptiness of life. The L stands for loneliness. And the F stands for the fear of death. Those four things, at least one of them, is on the mind of every unbeliever every day of every week of every month of every year. I remember distinctly in my own life how I would live life giving the air that I'm confident, I got this going, this going, and just really, really on an outward scale, just giving this view that everything's fine with me. But when I went home and I put my head on my pillow all by myself, I was a wreck. As I sort out my life, I had nowhere to turn to. And you know, I was prideful and arrogant and I didn't want to turn to anyone. But in the quietness of my life, God was already speaking to me at a very young age. In my life, I didn't need to be convinced of these things. I live them daily. And as you're facing difficulties of sharing the gospel with a coworker, you're not sure how to connect with them. Remember these four things, because each one of them, they become bridges into their lives. You, you have an answer for every one of them in the scriptures. 
Jesus Christ answers the sense of guilt. How? By shedding his own blood and forgiving you of all your guilt and shame. Jesus answers the issue of emptiness of life because by faith in Jesus Christ, you immediately in that very instant moment of being born again have been given purpose and direction. No longer empty, you have been filled. Not only does God deal with those, but Jesus deals with the loneliness. He gives you his friendship. He gives you sonship. You're adopted in the family of God. And on top of all that, Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You will never be alone. On top of all of that, you're into a new family. You have a family. For some people, the family of God is closer than their own blood relatives. That's what God does through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have good relationships with your blood relatives. They're saved. You're saved. That's the closest relationship you can ever enjoy. One of the closest. And you look at the fear of death. How does Jesus handle the fear of death? He promises resurrection. (laughs) Oh, no. Death is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's a transition into eternity. And for the believer, it's a transition into eternity with God. And as you share these things, you know, as you're just talking and, you know, you remember every conversation is the opportunity to plant a seed, to water a seed. God gives the increase. And as people trust you, they open up to you and you begin to talk to them. You begin to share with you. And you're just one piece of the puzzle and God, God's using you and others to bring people to Christ. But you've got to care. Before you share, you've got to care. If you don't care, then people all around you are going to die and go to hell. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, you can jot it down, the seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. In the New King James, it says this, the fruit of, righteous, the, fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Not too many years ago, we rearranged our whole vision of this church to place the emphasis as believers. Now, we know we're saved. So for the saved, those that have a relationship with God, I have a responsibility to equip you, to teach you the Bible, to edify you, to prepare you, to train you, uh, to minister to you, to encourage you. I have a lot of responsibilities. But, and as I do that, the responsibility is the church is gathered right now, then the church is scattered. And you've experienced that in a real way in the last few months, a scattered church. We haven't been able to gather. We haven't been gathering. And as you're out and about, that's where the meat of the gospel, that's where it lives. That, like you and I, we have the opportunity to mingle in this world, to, to intertwine with those that don't know Jesus. And, and we're able to build friendships and relationships. We're able to speak kindness and through good deeds point to Jesus Christ, the motive, and be able to share the motives. And the, the reality of wisdom is bringing people to a saving faith. So what's our, what's our vision? When disciples sin. When. When is not a competitive word here. Neither is it here in Proverbs. It's not a competitive word where there's winners and losers. But the idea behind this definition of win would be to win someone over to the heart of Jesus. Like you want to see their hearts won. And you're a tool in that. But until you, ex- until you acknowledge that, you really won't care about the lost. And, and I know, in a room this size, the amount of people that are here watching online, listening on the radio, there are definitely people here that do not care about the lost. That's a sin. To have no care and concern for the lost is a sin. And it's something that can be changed. 
It's something that can be developed. And so let's look at what the Bible has to say about evangelism so that the Holy Spirit can minister to you and you can see that God wants to use you. So here's number one. You ready? Number one. Every believer is to evangelize. Every believer is to evangelize. Telling others about Jesus is not for a select group of people. It's not just the pastor's job. It's for all of us, every single one of us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. This is an exhortation and a command to every one of Jesus' followers, disciples, believers, disciples, believers, however you want to describe yourself, this is for you. If you're a believer, you're responsible. We don't like commands too much, so we tend to ignore the commands we don't like. And we tend to emphasize, well, I'm not comfortable. I don't know what to say. I don't want to do it. But I'm telling you, as soon as you step in with a careful heart for someone, the Lord will meet you there and all your excuses will be gone. Yeah, maybe you make a mistake now and then. Maybe you say the wrong. Maybe you get stumped. Welcome to all of us. That's all of us. We get stumped all the time. They're like, oh man, good question. Never thought of that. Uh, I, never, I never even explained. Like, but you jump in. That's the exciting part because when somebody asks a question that you don't know, and it's all part of the process, you don't need to argue with them. You don't need to just say, you know what? That's a good question. I need, to, I need to spend some time reading the Bible and studying that. So why don't I look that up and let's meet again or let's talk again and I'll give you the question. I'll give you the answer. It'll take me a few days because I'm not really, you know, you can admit, I'm, I'm not, I don't really know. I've got to look. I might have to ask a friend. But you are then honoring and validating that person instead of trying to win an argument, trying to make things up or just going, I don't want to argue. I don't, even want, I don't want to be put in that position because it'll be embarrassing. Why don't you just put yourself out there and be embarrassed? It's all right. You'll get over it. You'll get over it for the sake of loving someone that God put in your life. You'll get over it. You'll, you'll find that when the, the first person you lead to the Lord, you will just be overwhelmed. You will be overwhelmed when you see that God was waiting to use you all along. It'll just blow your mind. And it'll become something you want to see. You, you will you'll be so excited. You, you'll be so, maybe you'll even be shocked. But these are the last days. And if you're going to be passionate about something, be passionate for the lost. Care for those that don't know Jesus Christ. Let, let the world be the world. You be the church. And only the church shares the gospel. The world doesn't share the gospel. The world doesn't know the gospel. The world in which we live, the culture in which we live, is anti-God. It's hostile to the church, to believers. As a matter of fact, Jesus put it in very blunt terms. If they hated me, they will hate you. I mean, those are strong words. The hatred that was shown toward Jesus Christ is shown toward us. But you know, people... The people or the, the, the losers in our culture are the people that are lost because they're caught in the middle. They're blind spiritually. You know them very well because some of them are your moms and dads. Some of them are your brothers and sisters, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles. You know them very well. They're caught in the middle. That they're... They're, they're caught between two worlds and they've chosen this world. 
they have, they turn and they, they don't like hearing from you, so they mock you, they make fun of you, they push you away. But, but in all of that, the reality is you're just a seed planter, you're just a waterer. You're just someone that God, at the appropriate time, God's gonna use. But all of us are called to evangelize. We're, we're, none of us are immune. This, in Matthew 28, verse 19, some of you Bible students, you already know, this is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. If that's not already in a side note in your Bible, make sure to write it down. It's not called the Great Suggestion. You're committed. This is part of the package. It's like Jesus saying, I'm ordering you. I'm telling you. I bought you, I purchased you, I paid you with you my own blood. You belong to me. And here's what I'm telling you to do right now. I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. Da- baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to do that. That's my call to you. That's my command. You know, and when it comes to sin, I don't want to develop this. I've done it different places. But the, when it comes to sin, there are basically two categories of sin. Sins of commission and sins of omission. We are very familiar with the sins of commission. That's when we do something that's wrong. We do something that's wrong. We choose to commit a wrong action. We're pretty familiar with those. We don't make plus, we don't, unfortunately, we don't place a strong emphasis, but I'm placing it for you now, so we can't say that anymore. We don't, the world, the church doesn't place a big emphasis on sins of omission. The sins of omission are when you don't do what's right. When you refuse to obey, you refuse to do what's right. That's sin. It's not just doing wrong. And here the Holy Spirit's ready to lead you. Hear me out. Hear me out, church, because you may by this side, like, oh, this is not a guilt trip. I'm not guilt tripping you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's not intended to guilt trip you. It's tended to, if you are convinced, and I think by now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, if you're convinced you're in the last days, this is where you should be. I mean, it could be any days, right? Because every generation thought they were in the last days, but we're alive now. And if you are, if you are convinced we're in the last days, if you're convinced what you're seeing on the news is lining up with the Bible, if you're convinced of the animosity toward the church, if you're convinced that, that more and more countries, more and more leaders are turning on Christians, turning on believers, that more, that the one world government's coming, a one world currency, if you believe all that, which I know most of you do, then this is God's call upon your life. He's not calling you to freak out. He's calling you to evangelize. He's given you an outlet for all that passion. And that's to care for other people. Some of you, of course, are more inclined to do this than others, but it's a command to all of us. There is a joy in sharing the good news. In a hopeless world, Jesus Christ, when you share the gospel, you're encouraged. I can't tell you how many times, just in my role as a pastor teacher, where I've had a bad day, or I've had a bad week, or I've had a bad month, and just standing here teaching the Bible, reinvigorates me. I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, there's nobody in the room. This is for me. This is all for me. I hope you guys are enjoying it, but God's teaching me right now. He's ministering to me because as you obey God, there is a benefit that comes with obedience. There's joy and peace. And when you share the gospel, it's just the hardest part about evangelism is just getting started. (laughs) Just take the first step. Jesus was so often among the people preaching and teaching. Remember back Uh, In John chapter 2, where was Jesus? At a wedding. With who? A bunch of sinners. 
perfect opportunity for him to shine. You, you think he was there building bridges personally into their lives. And that's an effective way to share Jesus. You've heard it many times, learning how to build bridges. I see a lot or I have seen a lot. In my early days as a new believer, I was guilty of this. I see a lot of guys going out, blowing up bridges, and just going out like, just guns a-blazing with the gospel. And it's like, man, leave me alone. There's no care and concern for the person. There's no care and concern for their hurt. There's no care and concern for all of those things, their guiltiness, their loneliness. It's just like, I just want to convince you, you're a sinner, and man, that's it, you're a sinner. And they blow up bridges. And they think it's like their responsibility. They're more concerned with making sure they say something than they are being a tool in the hands of God. And so you just think, I just want to build a bridge. I can, I'd can. love to lead you to the Lord right now. I, I had that privilege after Sunday service. After Sunday, you know, we had a different type of service. And for those of you here, second service, all the services were the same. We did communion at the end. We did worship. It was kind of like a believer's. Shared the gospel. But then I said, you know, if you want to decide, just stay seated. And so as people were staying seated, I was able to to come to this young couple. And uh, you could see that that the young lady was a little troubled and just really concerned. The message ministered to her. And as I was talking to her, I asked her the question, well, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And by the way, that was a lesson I learned the hard way back when I served in the church in California. I was in the counseling room and somebody came in and, and I just couldn't minister to them. They just didn't want to talk to me. They asked for somebody else. So the supervisor came alongside of me and, and he said, it was, he didn't do this, but he said, it's almost like step to the side, young man. Let me show you how it's done. And as he stepped to the side, as I did step and I started watching and as he took over, he asked a question that never crossed my mind. No wonder these guys were going because he said, are you guys married? Uh, you see, you got to ask the hard questions. The whole issue in their life was they weren't married. That's why. That's why fornic- they were paying the price of fornication. They were living together. They weren't honoring God. So of course their life's going to be a mess. And I, w- I was like, oh, Lord, I learned. I'll never forget it. I remember it. Steve, Steve taught me a good quote. I thank you guys in the back. Steve gave me. It was their, their, their dad back there. So you can say thank them. Thank their dad back there. Just say thanks. Thank you, guys. So it was Steve. He came in, schooled me on how to work in the counseling room. And so for this couple now, I asked the question. I never, I, hopefully, I never assume anybody's a believer because they're sitting in a... So she's troubled. And so are you... Do you have a relationship with Jesus? She says, I want to. Thank you for telling me that. So I began to share with her weaving the gospel together with all the hurts and pains she walked into this room with. And by the time we were in, I said, well, is there anything stopping you from, I look like you're very ready to surrender your life. Is there anything preventing you from receiving and repenting of your sins and receiving Jesus right here? She said, no. We had the privilege of praying with them right in those seats right there. And she walked out a person following Jesus Christ. The, The reality is, You might be sitting next to her. Somebody was sitting next to her. I don't know who, but somebody was, that role wasn't, it wasn't just them. Somebody was sitting next to her. Somebody worked with her. Somebody helped her at the grocery store. Like we're, people that are lost are all around us. And it's just so encouraging. It's so encouraging. When we first opened up uh, in the church here and 
And I was just, I don't know, Lord, I'm not sure. I think this is from you. We took a step of faith. We opened up. I was, I was super hyper nervous that weekend uh, with all sorts of emotion. And I really wasn't sure. I thought it was from the Lord. So I obeyed him and I wasn't sure. And Saturday night came, nobody responded to the gospel. Sunday first service, nobody responded to the invitation. It was strong, like it was, we haven't been together for a while. And I'm like, well, Lord, every, everybody gets saved that day. Like, show me, by second service, I'm like super discouraged. And I'm thinking, I don't know, what are we doing? It's all believers coming. Where, where are the lost? You know, they're what, whatever, whatever it was, whatever all my mind. And then second service, as I was given the invitation over here to my left, there was a response. And I felt like the Lord was saying, Ed, that's why you open the building. Those, that's why, it was like to this. It wasn't an answer forever. It was an answer for that weekend. That's why you opened. And I go, okay, Lord. And what I interpret that was is you open, you gather for the sake of evangelism, encouragement. I do my part. You do your part. God always does his part. And so just get, the, the, the thing is, is just get in. Just take the first step. We're all commanded. And you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have gone to seminary or school. Just tell people about the love of God. And I think sometimes we just fail to understand. We fail to understand that one of the most effective ways in witnessing to people is to be a loving, compassionate, caring person. Just to love your neighbor. To step into each other's pains to think of others more highly than yourselves, to see that there's a, a group hurting and you stand with them. You, you see a person hurting, you sit with them. Sometimes we as Christians are so worried about being polluted by the world that we over-isolate ourselves. We're better at being critical and condemning of the lost, dark, godless culture instead of just flipping on the light of joy. So much easier to find an area of culture and go, oh, that's oh, it's so bad, it's so bad. Yeah, it's the world. But the bad can become better when you step into people's lives. They say 95% of Christians have never led someone personally to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 95%. Whether that's accurate or not, let's just say it's 50%. Whether that's just accurate, let's just say 25% of Christians. I, I think it's a higher number, but let's just say 25% of You know what that means? One out of every four of you have never shared the gospel and led someone to the Lord. And you go, well, Ed, I keep sharing the gospel. I keep sharing. Great. And keep sharing to lead someone to the Lord. <laughs> and then when you do, you're going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. But some of you, man, it's time to take this seriously. You believe you're in the last days? One of the characteristics of believers in the last days is they share the gospel. Number two, and we're almost done. Number two, not only is every believer to evangelize, secondly, the Bible teaches us every believer is to evangelize everywhere. Every believer is to evangelize everywhere. And according to Mark's gospel, he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news, preach the gospel. Ma Matthew, as we saw earlier, added, make disciples. 
helping people not only know Jesus, but grow in their relationship with him. And there's a nat- this is the natural outgrowth of a prayerful life and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. It's God's prescription for refreshment. It is the way that God grows the church, evangelism. I don't mean fill a room. I don't mean make a church bigger. I mean the church. This is the way it's been in the church, modeled for us from the day of Pentecost. God got people's attention. Peter preached to them on the spot. Didn't prepare it, didn't have anything written, didn't have a scroll open. Off the top of his head, what he lived in, what he saturated himself in, came right out of his mouth, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what you're seeing. This is what God requires. This is the decision you make right now. And thousands of people. Now, I don't, I don't know, call it a man of faith, not, not a man of faith, I don't know. I don't know that I'm ever going to see 3,000 people get saved. I want to. I really, really, really want to preach the gospel and see 3,000. I, I would love to be a part of it. I probably won't. That's not God's calling on my life. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I, but I was thinking recently, I saw a picture. Um, I saw a picture on Instagram of Red Rocks. And we know that that organization that has Red Rocks is not godly, not biblical. They don't preach the gospel. So I prayed during COVID that they'd go bankrupt. I prayed that they'd go bankrupt and they couldn't keep their contract with Red Rocks so that we could take that contract over and do a citywide real gospel. Now, if I prayed wrong, God can correct it. So don't judge me. But I prayed that this crisis, God could turn around for good and that we would have a citywide that and the gospel would be preached. And I just thought maybe God would let me see thousands of people get saved. It doesn't have to be me preaching. You know, it could be, we could bring Greg Laurie in or somebody. And, and that, that guy, Raul Reese, he just stands up and people get saved. Like God uses them. I, it doesn't even have to be me. Now, I have seen thousands of people at Harvest Crusades and such, but I'd like to be there. I'd like to be a part of it. I'd like to be behind. I'd like to see, I'd like our church to be a part of it. And so just pray. Like, pray big, pray beyond your ability and see what God might do. But I want, I, I, I desire, I think it's a godly desire, not necessarily selfish. I think it's a God, I want to see the real gospel preached at Red Rocks before the rapture of the church. I think that, so maybe you join me. We were praying for a radio station for a long time and that was, out, that was way out there too. But this year, 10 years, Grace FM has been on the air. So God can do crazy out of these things, out of this world things. But what is it in your life? What is it in your life? What's out there, evangelism-wise? I know I'm not an evangelist. I know I'm not good at it. But it doesn't matter. God's perfect in evangelism. (laughs) He knows how to save because he's the only one that saves. He just invites us to be a part of it. And all of us are to share everywhere. We're all responsible to share everywhere, to speak out for what you believe. God is so wise. The Bible says that he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We fit that category. Our God is an evangelistic God, church. That's his heart. From the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve fall into sin, how do we see God the Father respond? He goes after the lost. He pursues them. He loves them, has compassion on us, 
from the very beginning of creation in his relationship with humans that he created in his image that failed him miserably. The failure, it's the biggest failure ever to happen. It has affected all of humanity forever. What is God's heart? He goes after the lost. He's not so much interested in us having holy huddles all the time and having little things. Like, that's good so we stay encouraged and we strengthen one another and we build one another up. Why? For the fight. For the battle. We're to fight the good fight. So we gather together. Hey, it's good, brother. Good, brother. We start hugging again. It's all right, five and eight. Like, all of those things. And remember, when you leave the room, do whatever you want out there. You want to hug somebody? Ask them first. But hug somebody. Encourage them. We'll get there eventually in the room. But listen, it's more important that you hug someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone that's lonely. Someone that's laden with guilt. Someone that is is self-harming. Someone that has suicidal thoughts. Someone that is hopeless. Someone that's rebellious. Someone that's angry. Listen, it hit me like a brick when I interviewed my friend, Pastor Bill Buffington. We did those interviews. They're on the app during racial tension, which hasn't gone away. Hasn't gone away. God wants the church to be a part of the light on that. But when I was Bill, Bill, I've known Bill a long time. But when he told me, first time, when he told me that he was a part of the riots after the Rodney King thing when we were all in California, he was on TV. Let's just say he was one of those guys on TV. I don't know what he did exactly. So, Bill, I'm sorry if I'm saying you did things you didn't do, but just think. He's going into a liquor store and carrying out things of liquor. He's breaking the windows. He's lighting things on fire. He's spitting on police officers. All vile, wicked things. Bill Buffington. And here we are, 20 years later. And Bill Buffington is a pastor of a church preaching the gospel to the very people that he once was. It hit me like a brick, especially in the midst of everything. Yeah, it's easy to see the corruption and the difficulty in our world, but somebody loved Bill. Somebody talked to Bill. Somebody was patient with Bill. Somebody sat down with Bill. Somebody shared the gospel with Bill. Somebody invited Bill to church. And I'll tell you who it was. It was another believer fulfilling the Great Commission, loving Bill despite his behavior, loving Bill despite the vile wickedness of it all. And God is still doing that. He is still saving people. God is ready to save those that shake the fist at him. He's ready to save those caught up in sin sin. You know, we get into these categories, this sin, that sin. Look, sin separates you from God, and we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if God can save a guy like Bill, and God can save a guy like me, the people you love and care for, God can save them too. And he's put you in their life. Those in the last days, there's going to be a group of people in the last days that shine brightly, that that reflect the wisdom of God. And those are the ones that are sharing the gospel. It's easy for a church to say, well, you know, that's the pastor's department. That's the missions department. That's what missionaries do. That's, no, no, no. We're to preach everywhere all the time with our lives, with our words. 
with our example. And I know you say, as we close, you know, Ed, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible, wasn't there say you're supposed to do the work of evangelists? Like, isn't there somebody, like, aren't there evangelists that do that? Yeah, there are people that are specially gifted. Some, God has just anointed them to share the gospel and people get saved. But that's not a cop-out not to share the gospel. It's actually a reminder, if you're not an evangelist, you still do the work of an evangelist. It's still your responsibility. Paul tells this young pastor, he's not just saying for them, but he's reminding us that there's a work to be done. It's God's method of saving and encouraging. He's an evangelistic God. And it's interesting that there is a sweetness of the work of God. It's interesting where, where you have in the spiritual armor, you've got the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. You got all this fighting going on, pew, bam, you got pushing forward. But when you're pushing forward, you've got the feet of the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's never not about the gospel. It's all about the gospel and lives being saved. And that is why we're on the earth. And yes, there's teaching, edifying, building up, encouraging, strengthening one another. Why? For, say it with me, church, for the Okay, I don't, did I convince you? Because we'll start all over from the beginning. It's all for the gospel. And if I could convince you that you're living in the last days, then my heart is to convince you your responsibility in the last days. Evangelism is not for someone else. It's for you. And it's for me. And there's a lot of different ways God's going to use us because there's a lot of different people in this room you don't have to be me. I don't have to be you. We just need to be surrendered to the Spirit. And remember, the first step in sharing is caring and understanding the brokenness of people's lives and that your life matters. You are saved for a purpose. Our vision, when, disciple, send. And it just keeps going and going and going until the Lord comes back. So Father, we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. We do pray for red rocks and for false teaching to stop. I pray for it. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would open a door for us, that we would call one more time and they'd say, yeah, well, guess what? It's not rented out next year. That would be a glorious day, Lord. And so I don't know why that was popped into my mind many, many years ago, but I keep bringing it to you, keep bringing it to you, keep bringing it to you. And we pray for that. Thousands would come to, say, to saving knowledge in that theater, in that arena. But until then, God, you're using us person by person, place by place. And so we want to be used, God. We don't want to be passionate about things that don't matter eternally. Not that they don't matter now. They have some significance today, for sure. But they have no eternal value. Moth and rust corrode. Thieves break in and steal. Political winds change. Opinions are shifted. Uh, things happen. Things change. But you're unchanging, God. And your gospel stands true. So, Father, I pray in this day that I know that, um, I know that it's, 
It's a challenge. And it is a stirring. And I pray that we would respond in obedience. I just pray obedience over our church. It's one of those messages that I want to share at all the services, all the online services. It's just one of those things that we forget. And I'm thankful for the man you sent into my life and the man that was sent in his life and the man that was sent in that life. And if you guys just kind of look, I'm just so thankful that there was a string of obedience that, that led to me, to my wife, to my son and then my children being born into a Christian home, to my parents, and just grateful, Lord. I want to thank you for the evangelism that reached me, and I want to continue it on. I pray for those listening online right now, watching online, listening on the radio, God, that you would give them a sense of your love, that they would sense it and feel it. I pray for those in the room today that they would wrestle with and acknowledge to and receive Lord, your love in a stirring message. And if we really do believe we're in the last days, then let us believe Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. There's wisdom in shining and leading people to righteousness. And we just want to be a part of it. So thank you, God, for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.